When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Justin, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep, deep, diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey, everybody! Welcome into the Utopia Utopia Football Podcast is the title of the podcast, but today it is a. It's just the Utopia podcast for today because we would be remiss to big baseball fans like John McClain and myself to uh, avoid talking about the Astros going to the World Series. That's what everybody's talking about. So we're going to hit that. We're going to hit the Texans and the Raiders from uh, Sunday as well as we welcome you into this episode of the Utopia podcast. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast in the mornings on Sports Radio 610. Of course, joined as always by my good friend, the Hall of Famer, our senior Texans columnist, at SportsRadio610.com and also GalleriesSports.com, John McClain. And, John, uh, it's a joyous, joyous time here in Houston. Fourth World Series in six seasons for the Houston Astros. You've been, you've been doing this rooting for sports teams things a little longer than I have. Have you ever rooted for a team, John, in your lifetime that's been this dominant in this period, like this, this size of window as this Astros team? The best Astros team I've ever seen was 1998 when Randy Johnson came in here after the trade and was 10 and 1 with a 198 ERA in Bagwell and they couldn't get back to, past the Padres. They had experienced heartache in 1980 against the Phillies, 86 against the Mets. Then, of course, they were swept by the White Sox in the first World Series. But this team, because of its con- sustained excellence, and the way I think Astros fans, Sean, are so tired of hearing talk about cheating and the scandal post-game. That's what Bob Costas went straight to, which was ridiculous. Instead of praising him, but he went straight to the cheating. And it seems like it's so old, it's got dinosaur poop on it. And uh, so the fact that the fans have suffered along for a long time, a lot of disappointment, going to the last game against the Rays to go to the World Series, losing the World Series every game at home to Washington, and then losing in six to the Braves last year. And now to be so dominant and to win every game in the first two series, then they put up that stat last night. The other two teams that did that lost. Yeah. And and that's that's kind of scary because the Phillies, I've watched the Phillies, they are hitting the ball. At just the right time for them, they have power hitters led by um, Hoskins and Harper, good bullpen, but they're start, starting pitching. They're pitching really top to bottom, can't match the Astros. And one reason I'm pulling for the Astros is because nobody can claim this one's tarnished or tainted by any kind of scandal. And what's amazing is they've done this without Tuve not hitting, and they've done it with Tucker not hitting, and Alvarez went through a slump. But it looks like Altuve's out of it. Alvarez is out of it. And 
just the right time. It's going to be so much fun, home field advantage. By the way, you know what the famous NY Yankee logo stands for? What? Next year. Yeah, always. <laughs> always. And we'll see if Aaron Judge is a part of it next year. That'll be the big talking point in New York. John, there's so many things to dig into with the Astros, and you just laid a lot of them out there. I, but the, the the one thing off the top there, your historical perspective I love because – it goes to show you the degree of difficulty of what this Astros team has accomplished, not just getting to six straight ALCSs, but getting to four World Series out of those six trips to the ALCS. And hopefully they close this one out with a World Series win. I'd love to see them get two World Series wins so we can start to talk about the dynasty sort of conversation. But, I mean, think think about that. If you want some perspective on that, the Astros for for decades – couldn't even get to the LCS until the early 2000s. They'd been around for 60 years before they made it to the league championship series, and they'd had some good teams over the course of those those seasons, really starting in 1980 and then sporadically in the 80s, but then in the late 90s. And they didn't even get to an LCS until 2004. They didn't get to a World Series till 2005. They didn't win a World Series till 2017. And all those trips to the playoffs before the strike in 1994 – we're all when the playoffs were much, uh, it's a much shorter path back then. You know, you, you win a three out of five series and you're in the world series. This team is, is, is winning divisional series. They're winning ALCSs. I think it's absolutely incredible. And, and I, you know, this particular team, obviously the pitching is the signature of this particular team, but the thing that I will always remember from this league championship series, two things, one, the performance of Jeremy Pena, sort of replacing Carlos Correa as that clutch shortstop, which had been a concern coming into the postseason. But just the fact, John, that the Yankees made mistakes in games three and four, that it felt like when the Yankees were winning World Series back in the late 90s, other teams always made those types of mistakes, and the Yankees would pounce on them for that. The Yankees with the Bader error in game three, with two outs in that inning that left the, kept the inning alive and led to Chaz McCormick hitting a two-run homer, which is all they needed in that game. And then in game four, the play they're going to remember up in New York for they'll, they'll be talking about it for the foreseeable future. The Glaber Torres botched double play in the seventh inning that may have ended the inning. At the very least, you're going to have two outs with a runner on first. You know, instead, it's one out runners first and third and your Don and Bregman both come up and do their thing. And it goes from five, four Yankees to six, five Astros. This Astros team, you cannot give them openings like that. You cannot give them extra outs. They will pounce on you, and it's not just the big guns in the lineup. There were a lot of things that the other folks did in the lineup in this in this series and in this playoff that's been very encouraging for next week. I'm going to write a column for Gallery Sports about that 1980 NLCS in which four, back then it was a five-game format. The last four went to extra innings, and the last game – they're up three runs in eighth. Nolan Ryan on the mound. I was in Kansas City covering the Oilers losing to the Chiefs and rookie running back Joe Delaney mm-hmm. had, I think, 180 yards. And after it was over, the PR guy, Bob Springer, let Dale Robertson, who was covering for the Post and I, go to their lounge. He kept it open <laughs> for us so we could watch it on the TV. And we thought, sure, 
in that eighth inning and going to win, and then they lost it. It was heartbreaking for the fans because that team was really good. Yeah. They were loaded with talent. Five managers came from those two teams. Hmm. Think think about the Phillies, Sean. They had Steve Carlton pitching. They had Mike Schmidt, Pete Rose, Larry Boa. They had so many good players then. Greg Luzinski, the Astros were good. They had good pitching, and it was a great series. But like in 80 – against the Phillies, 86 against the Mets, mm-hmm. 98 against the Padres. They mm-hmm. just couldn't pull it off. And and I think the Astros are a dynasty. And if they win this World Series, as they're favored to do, that would be World Series victories in the first of the six years, tainted, of course, and the last of the six years, untainted. And people people may not like them, but, man, you've got to respect them. John, you know who the catcher was on that Phillies team? Who? Bob Boone, father Bob of Aaron Boone. Boone. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Father of Aaron Boone. Yeah, that was. I like that. I, my mom's from Philly. That Philly team. I liked. I enjoyed that Philly team. I wasn't a Houstonian. I was, you know, fourteen years away from being a Houstonian at that point. Um, but I remember that team. Yeah, Bake McBride and Gary Maddox in the outfield with their big afros. They, they they had some they had some delightful afros on that team. Uh, yeah. So that was Manny Trio at second base, John. So he was the MVP of was. that series. Yep. And of all the stars on that Philadelphia roster, which that team reminds me of one of the funniest quotes I can ever remember. There was a big rivalry in the seventies and early eighties between the Phillies and the Reds, the big mm-hmm. red machine that won it all 75, 76 and their shortstops, Larry Boa, and Dave Concepcion, and Boa used to infuriate Concepcion with his antics and his psychological stuff he pulled on him, and he kept calling Concepcion Elmer. Elmer, what's up, Elmer? He got out second base. How you doing, Elmer? Finally, Concepcion said, why do you call me Elmer? He said, because every time I look at the box score, it says, E. Concepcion. Uh, <laughs> I'll never forget that. That's good. That's good. I like the uh, the good-natured trash talk. Um, and by the way, you remember who the closer was for the Phillies back then, John, for that team? Uh, who was it? Tug, Tug McGraw. Tug of McGraw, father of uh, country music star and Yellowstone, uh, or 1883 star, Tim McGraw. Yep. Hus- husband of Faith Hill, most importantly. So yeah, Tug. What was his catchphrase for that team? No, that was the Mets. That he had, he had. Didn't he coin the "We Believe"? Yeah, maybe so. He was on those Mets teams too. Yeah, I, just, I always just remember him slapping his glove on his thigh when he'd walk off the mound. That was his trademark. He'd always walk back to the dugout slapping his thigh with his glove. So about these Astros, John. Here's what concerns me: is I would almost rather be playing a team like the Dodgers in the World Series that won 100-something games or the Mets. You know, so one of these teams that's on the same sort of regular season level as the Astros because this Phillies team is very much a doppelganger of the last two teams to beat the Astros in the World Series. Let me give you some numbers here. Washington in 2019, they were 58-53 and on August 4th. They were kind of floundering around sort of dead. They went 19 and five over the next 24 games. They wound up winning 93 games that year. Got a wild card, beat the Astros in the World Series. 2021, on August the 1st, Atlanta was sub 500. They were 52 and 55 on August the 1st. They went on to go 16 and two over their next 18 games and finished 88 and 73. They win the World Series. 
Philadelphia was 50 and 47 on July 28th. They had fired their manager early in the season. 12 and one over the next 13 games, they wind up winning 87 games. That that's that makes me nervous. You know, that like that, these teams that are wild card teams, you look at their record, you go, all right, well, at least we're not facing the Dodgers who won 111 games. No, but you're facing a team that's playing just as good a baseball over this specific stretch as a team like the Dodgers are capable of playing right now. And they're believing in themselves. These, these, these little, uh, little engine that could uh, teams of destiny, John, make me nervous because the last two times this happened, both NL East teams, by the way, Washington and Atlanta, um, the last time the Astros faced teams like this, it did not go well for them both times. And the fact that I think they called playoffs here in that last series, even though the Astros, I think, won two of the three. Is that correct? Yes. And they're hitting the long ball. The Astros are not hitting a lot of home runs, starting at the top with Kyle Schwarber. Did you see that 488-foot <laughs> shot he I hit? did. It hit the oh side of my, my building, God. John. Of course I saw it. It broke my window. <laughs> <laughs> then the one that he hit in the trees in center field that they said was 425. If they hadn't had all those trees out there, it might have still been going, but there, and Bryce Harper's been fantastic. Yep. Castellanos, Hoskins, those guys can hit, and so I think it's going to be a great series. I'd love to see the Astros sweep them, actually, just like see the Astros win it, but it's going to be Astros pitching against their hitting. And they got, and it was really big, John, I think, for the Astros to get this sweep, to not have to use Verlander one more time in this Yankee Ooh, series. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, get things lined up. Verlander's gonna have a nice long rest like he's had throughout the postseason. It it's all it's all lining up. You know, it, it's it, it could not have lined up any better for them to to secure this second world championship, which again scares the hell out of me. So I just want to put the, that out there. Sean, something that drives other teams crazy. This pitching staff this, this of the seven starters they have, the only one who's not homegrown is Verlander. Yep. And shows what a great job they do have done in their farm system. And another thing is Luis Garcia has pitched once in which he was great in that 18 inning victory at Seattle. And I was like, Katie hadn't pitched one time. Yeah. And they in that I I can't remember it was the pitching coach who said we could have gone 30 in Seattle because of the pitchers they mm-hmm. still had. So they have a, a, the deepest starting staff and when Ryan Stanick with the lowest DRA can get in one inning against the Yankees one inning against the Mariners you know what does that say about the depth of the staff the way Brian Brian Abreu has emerged and taken his place in the role with the team and Stanick's been a good team guy but man oh man and you you hope that's the way it stays they don't have another 18 inning game but I have never seen an Astro pitching staff with the depth and the versatility that this one has going back to my first game in history in 1962. And, John, I'm rooting for an 18-inning game in this World Series because that will plunder the Phillies. The Astros, as you just pointed out, they've got the wherewithal to withstand an 18-inning game. I feel like if they're playing – I mean – it, what would have been fascinating would have been if that were happening in an LCS, not an LDS. That ended that series because it was game three. But if that were a series that had to go another couple of games and those two teams played 18 innings, I mean, advantage Astros all day long against any any other team in baseball. Like, Jose or John, you just said it. Jose Urquidy hasn't pitched yet in the postseason. Guy won like 15 games this year. 
And he might not the way they're going. He might not. Yeah, only if he has to. And if they their blueprint right now for things going well does not involve Jose Urquidy having to pitch in a game. You know, it's they've they've got a formula. And if they execute it, and so far seven for seven, they've executed it. Uh, you know, for the most part, every time out. Not every game's gone as smoothly as some, but uh, man, this is just it's teams a joy to watch and to root for. All right, so let's shift gears, John, to a team that's a little a uh, little more difficult. I would say um, easy to root for, but boy, not easy to endure certain Sundays and things like that. The Houston Texans, who made their first trip to Las Vegas this weekend. 38 to 20, the final score. John, we'll do our four stock up and four stock down as we always do to recap these games. But I guess off the top, your general thoughts on yesterday's, we're recording this on Monday. This will be dropping later on Monday morning. Um, Yesterday's game in Las Vegas. Once again, Sean, they were in position to win in the fourth quarter as they have been in every game. They went into the fourth quarter with a three-point lead. Then they fell apart. That run defense It's interesting, they gave up 164 yards. They're allowing 164 yards, but the way they surrendered them, in which it's like they just got steamroll, like a cavalry of horses running over people with with sticks on foot. They just steamrolled them, and it was embarrassing. Four consecutive long touchdown drives. Josh Jacobs had 113 yards on those four touchdown drives and averaged nine point. Two yards of carry. Here comes Derrick Henry coming off a 128-yard rushing performance in the Titans' victory over the Colts. But it's just amazing that they, in the fourth quarter, they've had a chance in every game, and only one have they won. But I believe right now, Sean, if the draft were today, they'd be picking second behind the Lions because of the Lions, the only team left with a one victory. And, of course, the Texans have a tie. And... Um, Titans are the next game. They played Titans close last year, beat them up there, lost by three at NRG Stadium. I think the way Tennessee plays, it'll be another close one, and Derrick Henry will steamroll them the way Josh Jacobs did. Yeah, probably so. Derrick Henry's not who you want to see the week after Josh Jacobs just ran over, through, and uh, and, and above you. You know, however however you want to phrase it, Josh Jacobs did – did unspeakable things to the Texans defense yesterday. All right. So that's John, that's a good lead in here as the Texans fall to one, four and one on the season, four stock up four stock down. So I always let you start. This is how we recap the game. Things we like, things we didn't like so much as the Texans lose 38 to 20 to the Raiders fall to one, four and one on the season. John, who's your first stock up? Davis Mills. I thought starting in the second half, Pep Hamilton allowed him to throw the ball down the field more than any time this season. I think I wrote this um, in my report card on on uh, SportsRadio610.com. I believe he had six or seven completions of at least 15 yards. This is the closest he has looked till the end of last season that he's looked this season. I think Pep Hamilton has a lot to do with that. Well, Ham- Hamilton does some things I don't understand, but Mills looked a lot better. I don't know the pick six against him. They were desperate trying to – come from behind, but I thought Mills, um, the protection is good. The offensive line continues to play well, led by Laramie Tunsil, who's been outstanding, and and Mills should be gaining more confidence. He did better on third down. He's worst third down quarterback in the NFL coming into this game, and they were 31st on third down, but they looked good for whatever reason. He was rolling out, going to his left. 
He just looked like a different quarterback, and I think that bodes well for the offense against the Titans. I think that last thing you said was the most encouraging thing to me is he was making some throws on the move and kind of moving out of the pocket and doing some things that I don't think are going to be necessarily a calling card of his moving forward, but those are things I think as a quarterback you have to have as part of your survival kit in the league is the ability to get outside the pocket and move and throw on the run a little bit. And he made some good throws on the run. The touchdown the touchdown to Dorsett was a throw that was on the run. I, the two touchdown passes, John, I would say were the most encouraging plays, not necessarily because they scored points, but because of the nature of the throw. The Chris Moore throw, he had a blitz coming right into his face, and he was able to hit Moore with some anticipation, and Moore was able to walk into the end zone. And then the Philip Dorsett, I thought he threw with some good velocity on it, kind of running away from his throwing arm. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm willing to put Mills in a stock up. He's, if the draft were this week, the Davis-Mills replaceo meter is still very high. I don't think yesterday's enough for me to move off of that. They've got the second and the fifth picks right now, John. So they are, they are looming and lurking in position to get that guy if they want him. Yeah, well, the problem is Detroit, if it's number one, Jared Goff's been terrible. They need yeah. a quarterback. Carolina needs a quarterback. I don't care how well P.J. Walker plays, and he played very well in the victory over the Buccaneers. Mm-hmm. But it's what's worrisome for Mills is Nico Collins getting a hamstring yeah. injury because guys don't just step up and come back the next game with hamstring injuries. All right, my stock up, my first one is Jordan Akins, the tight end, who seems to have made at least one play each each of these games since he's come back to the team three or four games ago, he's made at least one play where you go, okay, well, that was a huge one right there. Move the chains, whatever. Yesterday he had a big third down catch early in the game, a fingertip catch on a really well – I thought that was a – we haven't seen that out of Davis Mills, sort of the touch pass, the little lob with some air underneath it to, to Aikens. You had the 39-yard catch and run, and then the fourth and nine or fourth and ten conversion later in the game that subsequently – Ended up in a pick six a couple plays later. Um, but Akins, we had him on the postgame show yesterday, John, and he's um, it's, it's he's in a really interesting career path, not just because he played professional baseball, but, um, you know, he was he was drafted like four GMs ago by his team and, and four head coaches ago. You know, it's like he's he's been in a Texans uniform for his entire NFL career, but he's been in a jillion different systems with a jillion different coaches it's nice to see him finally uh, breaking out a little bit here, playing his best month of football as a pro. The Texans discovered him when they coached at the senior ball, and he yeah. was there. And um, he has not dropped any balls. Get him the ball more. Yeah. And he can run like crazy, and he can catch crossing routes and catch down the field. You know, before he would dr- have a drop, he wouldn't get open. But now it's like he, since he's come back these last three games, he's a, he's a different player he's like a big receiver you know he and brevin jordan are the same players they targeted jordan four times he had no catches get the ball to akins akins is experienced he can catch in traffic and he can get the yak so pep hamilton davis mills especially nico collins is out get the ball more to jordan akins i agree all right who's your next stock up john damian pierce he, he was on a pace at halftime for like 132 yards. Then he didn't get the ball as much in the second half, but he still ended up 92 yards rushing. He had 25 yards on four catches and showed something everybody but Pep Hamilton has known, that he is a better third-down receiver than Rex Burkett. Mm-hmm. Rex Burkett averaged 2.2 yards, not on mm. rushing, 
Mm. But on receiving yeah. 2.2 yards, and I thought Dario Bungawale, when he came in, he was so much better. Oh, don't it's steal mine, John. Bad. Don't steal well, my stack Never up. mind. Let's rewind that. Zip. <laughs> I didn't bring anybody up. Oh, no, you're good. After Rex Burkhead. But <laughs> I thought Damian Pierce, he, he gives his usual workload. He's over 500 yards now, and he caught the ball and did better after the catch than any game this season. Yeah, enough of Rex Burkhead. Like, honestly, enough of Rex Burkhead. Five catches, 11 yards. Just, just stop it with this. And that goes to my next stock up, John. Plays perfectly into yours. Dario Gumbawale. came in. I don't know if you know him, John. He's number 33 on the Texans. He's uh, His name is Dare Agumbawale. And um, he maybe one of the benefits of the Texans getting ultimately blown out is maybe uh, overstating it a little bit. But, you know, there was margin at the end of this game that dictated, okay, we don't need to put Damian Pierce back in there and get him seven useless carries. Let's, let's, reserve, let's preserve the odometer a little bit on him. Maybe, maybe the upside of this is Daria Gumbawale got what on the stat sheet looked like garbage catches, but in those five catches, I love it when the, the symmetry works out. Rex Burke had five catches, 11 yards. Daria Gumbawale, five catches, 54 yards with some wiggle, with some speed, with some burst, all the things that Rex Burkhead does not have. Please, please, football gods, please tell me that we suffered through the garbage time of this game for a reason, and that reason is that maybe – Dari Agumbawale showed enough to where he can get some touches. You don't have to run Damian Pierce into the ground. And, oh, maybe on third and four, third and manageable, if you want to throw the football, you can throw it to somebody who can actually make a guy miss. Yes. Hopefully, Pep Hamilton will come to his senses. Agreed. All right, let's, let's flip over to stock down, John. Who was your first stock down for yesterday? Uh, I would like to say the front seven yeah. because they were absolutely horrible in the second half against the run. Yes, they lost Malik Collins. Yes, they played without Jonathan Grenard. Uh, everybody's got injuries, and it, no excuse to be that bad against the run. Roy Lopez had a terrible penalty, and they just got steamrolled. They let the team down. I don't understand, and this was my – column that I wrote for Gallery Sports, Sean. Mm-hmm. How can you be so pathetic against the run three years in a row? Mm-mm. It's almost like Nick Serio, when he's looking at prospects, he says, okay, is how does he play the run? He's awful. Let's sign him. And maybe it's this <laughs> grand plan to lose. They get high picks with their 12 draft choices and two number one, especially if the Browns keep cooperating, but I just don't understand. The roster's turned over. Coaching staff is turned over. How can you continue to be so utterly wretched in one area? Yeah, it's it's bad. And a, the problem with that, John, like if they if this team were one four and one because the things that are bad on this team are because of youth, where you look and you go, okay, well they they stink it, let's say the secondary stunk six games in. It doesn't. Well, let's pretend for a second it did. I would say, well, you know what, though? By the end of the year, you know, Derek Stingley is going to be, uh, you know, through a rookie year, and Jalen Petrie is going to be through a rookie year. Jonathan Owens will have had a season under his belt. You know, by, like, December and January, we might start to see some signs of some things. You know, or the offensive line. Let's say the offensive line were underperforming. I don't think they are. I think the offensive line's been fine this year. Um, but if they were, you'd go, well, you know, they got first-round picks at both tackle spots and the guard spot. You know, at some point, they're going to start to play up to their 
level they were drafted at. There's room for improvement. Okay, they stink now, but it's going to be okay. There's nothing in this front seven to look at to go, okay, this is going to be worth watching in December or January. Not a thing. It's all undrafted free agents, sixth-round picks, journeyman veterans. Um, when Jonathan Grenard is your calling card coming into the year, when he's the defensive lineman that you're putting on a season ticket, Jonathan Grenard, then you got issues on the defensive line and in the front seven. And these linebackers stink. These linebackers are – they are abysmal. Christian Kirksey, Kamu Grugier-Hill. We'll talk about Christian Harris. I'll get to Christian Harris in just a second. Um, but, John, this is – I mean, unless Christian Harris turns into Brian Urlacher, there's nothing in this front seven that says they're going to get any better at defending the run this year. No way. Yep. All right, so my that's a good lead into my stock down. My stock down is Lovey Smith's ability to to be coy and lie to the media, because last week he was getting asked about Christian Harris. It was like the media needed the jaws of life to try to get an answer out of him for how much Christian Harris was going to play, and the implication was he's not going to play very much. I haven't seen the snap counts yet for the Texans game. I'd be shocked if Christian Harris played less than fifty or sixty percent of the snaps. He was in there a lot yesterday, John. He also um, missed two tackles. Of course, he's got excuses the first time he played, but he fit right in. And Lovey, with Nick Casario overseeing the organization and constantly hounding him about don't give out one morsel of information, I don't have a problem with what Lovey says about the use of players, but that was smart to play Harris. Let him make his mistakes. Yes. Let him get better. Because they can't be any worse at linebacker. Kirksey made a couple of big plays. He made one bad one. Common Grugier Hill's not been the same player he was last year. And uh, there's a lot of talk about trading players at the deadline. You know, who who on this team is tradable do people want? There was talk last week, Brandon Cooks. What's Brandon Cooks done to justify anybody wanting him at this point? And I don't think they do that because they're so slim there. But, man... That front seven, if you got 12 draft choices and two number ones, mm-hmm. it would behoove the organization if Mills continues to play like he did yesterday. And not necessarily he's the franchise quarterback for the next 10 years, but allow them to use those picks on other positions and then go with Mills one more year, only if he continues to get better. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, then maybe next year you're picking 15th instead of second and fourth, and but this looks like it's the year. Plus, it's going to be a great year for quarterbacks, but, man, they need so much help at wide receiver and tight end and and uh, and in the front seven. You could almost replace anybody. Yep. All right, who's your, who's your next stock down, John? Jalen Petrie. I mm. hate to say it. Jalen Petrie has started off really well, has missed too many tackles. Yesterday, he's the reason that uh, Matt Collins – Caught that 22-yard touchdown pass down the middle. They're in two-deep coverage with Jonathan Owens. When you've got that coverage, nobody's supposed to catch a touchdown pass down the middle. And Petrie bit on the wrong guy, couldn't get back over. He ended up getting benched for Eric Murray. So that was Jalen Petrie's worst game, but he'll be back. I've seen him experience a lot of things at Baylor, and he always bounced back, and he'll learn from his mistakes. Yep, I'm not worried about Petrie at all, but he is deserving of being in that category for this game. All right, my last one, John, somebody you mentioned, Brandon Cooks. Um, as you 
pointed out there were reports that Nick Casario has been getting phone calls about Brandon Cooks. Doesn't surprise me at all. I would be shocked if he were traded, mostly because it would be a huge cap hit to the Texans if they traded Brandon Cooks because of the way they restructured his contract. And that means that the only way that you trade him is if somebody makes it worth it for you draft compensation-wise, you know, first-round pick or something like that. Well, Brandon Cooks ain't fetching a first-round pick the way he's playing this year. Another kind of pedestrian game yesterday. He had a drop on a third and two that would have kept a drive going in the first half of the game. I'm starting to get worried about this extension they gave Brandon Cooks, John. They gave him a two-year, $36 million extension, and almost all of it was guaranteed. Um, I don't, you know, Brandon Cooks is 29, so it's not like he's at a point in his career where he should be falling off, and he's a maniacal worker. We know that. So I don't think his lack of productivity has something to do with conditioning or, you know, not him not paying attention to the offseason. But with every passing game that he doesn't make a play that's an explosive play, he's getting paid to make explosive plays. It makes me wonder more and more, is the issue Brandon Cooks or is it Pep Hamilton? Is it Davis Mills? What's the deal going on here? If they're throwing passes to Chris Moore and Philip Dorsett for touchdowns, they yeah. should be throwing them to Brandon Cooks. You know, that play where the ball went right through his hands, that was that was big. You know, everybody loves Cooks, great leader, great guy. And the fact is he's not playing – like he did last year. The only good thing about this game, he'd been averaging 9.5 yards a catch. This was 11.5. Could have been better if he'd caught that one. But I don't think they could get more in a low draft choice for him right now. Maybe nope. a six or a seven, but I just don't see it. And then if, if Nico Collins is out for any length of time, they can't all of a sudden be missing him Mm-mm. and trade Cooks. And I'm wondering if uh, Tyler Johnson's ever going to get on the field. He was inactive again yesterday, so we'll we'll see. But, uh, well, there you go. You're four stock up and four stock down for the Texans. Again, 38-20, the final score of the game uh, between the Raiders and the Texans yesterday. Tennessee coming to town on Sunday, so we're going to break that down later on this week. Um, we've got a mailbag episode coming up on Wednesday this week. If you want to email us questions, H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com, mailbag at gmail.com to email us questions. And and with the World Series coming up, mix in some Astro questions too, not just Texans or NFL. Mix in an Astros question if you'd like to mailbag at gmail.com. John, what do you got going on this week? I'm writing, as I mentioned earlier, for Gallery Sports on the 1980 National League Championship Series, the heartbreaking five-game extra inning loss to the Phillies. And how much I remember about that, I have a report card on SportsRadio610.com. And then I've got observations uh, that I'm sending to SportsRadio610.com. And there will be some stuff in there about Rex Burke and, and Daria Mumbawali, who we just talked about, plus their awful run defense. And it's so much fun to get to talk about the Astros. By the way, Sean, mm-hmm. in, in the last – few days in New York, the Astros beat the Yankees twice. That is one more victory than the Texans and Rockets have combined for. <laughs> this season, yes, that's true. Oh, I forgot the NBA season. It started as well. Oh. The Rockets are winless as we record this. Yep, yep, yep. It's uh, a race to the top of the draft in two of the three sports here in town. All right, so there it is. He is the Hall of Famer, John McClain. I'm Sean Pendergast. We thank Figgy Fig for getting this podcast out to you promptly and intact each and every time, three episodes a week. And we're back on our normal schedule with the bye week behind us, three episodes a week 
And the next one will be on Wednesday. Mailbag, mailbag at gmail.com. Send your questions in. John and I record on Tuesdays. It drops on Wednesdays. We want to hear from you. mailbag at gmail.com. John, I enjoyed it as always. John, thank you very much. It's always fun to talk about a winner. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Astros. We appreciate that. Uh, all right, we're done. That's John McClain. I'm Sean Pendergast. We are out of time. You've been listening to the Utopia podcast, both football and baseball, this week. Uh, and um, we'll get at you with a mailbag a little later on this week. Until then, have a great day, everybody.